0: I would call that a cutting edge psalm. And oddly enough, on the front of your bulletin is the cutting edge psalm. So stand if you would. Psalm 127 is the scripture I'd like for you to read with me. It's up on the board, or maybe it is, but it's also on the front. And uh, this is really the challenge that God gives to every one of us. If you and I truly want to live on the cutting edge, how is that done? What are the issues? So if you would, please read this with me and then uh, we shall elaborate. Are you ready? Okay. I, uh, I, I want you to really be anxious, you know, like can't wait, can't wait to do this. Are you there yet? I just I just can't wait. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Yet he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gates. Would you bow with me? Lord, there's only one here today that can take your word and turn it into life, Lachaim, And that is you, your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, take your word and turn it into life that we might walk out of here. And as Jesus, you said in Luke 11:28, blessed are those that hear your word and obey it, do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the cutting edge. When you hear that word cutting edge, uh, what is it that you think of? Uh, Often in a, a cultural setting, we would think of achievement. The tour de France. They are cutting edge physically. They're cutting edge bikes. They're cutting edge in every way. The tour de France. Uh, Cutting-edge technology, right? Uh, Cutting-edge sports, cutting-edge family. (laughs) What's that? Cutting-edge high school kids and college kids. And we all are culturally looking for that fame, that fortune, that success, the achievement, perhaps the adventure. Why are so many people preoccupied with hedonism and pleasure? They're looking for the cutting edge of the world of the rich and famous. Well, uh, that is not what the scripture is about. The scripture has a different view. And I want you to understand that Psalm 127 is uh, will give us that view, which is the cutting edge. The context here, I just want you to know this was written by Solomon. Solomon uh, had it all. He had more wealth than Bill Gates. He had all the women you could possibly imagine, as if that was a good deal. (laughs) He didn't think so. Uh, He had all of the power, all of the influence, all of the cutting-edge latest technology, I'm sure. But there was something lacking. He wrote Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun. All is vanity, all is wasted. He wrote a song of Solomon, which has all to do about love. But there's a bigger issue than sex as far as... Uh, Solomon, he wrote all the Proverbs, you know, the wisdom literature, except he himself had a hard time applying it and doing it. And that's why he wrote Psalm 127. Um, The last three weeks, we've, uh, by the way, this is a psalm of ascent. Psalms 120 through 140 are those that would ascend up to the holy hill of Jerusalem. And they would sing and proclaim these to one another as a form of encouragement. And um, the last three weeks, actually, Todd started us out with uh, the psalm that tells us that the Word of God is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. Boy, that's quite good. Even if Craig said he passed out fructose. I don't know. Anyway, the scriptures are that way it's honey. Is it honey to you? Is it sweet? Or is it something that just has gathered dust for a long time in your mind and on your table? Well, then uh, um, Dave Beatty took Psalm 77 and he challenged us with a question, and that's still ringing in my ear that's not fair. Every one of us have issues with respect to that's not fair. I recently am wrestling with one myself that goes way back to the military, and I can't resolve it. But Psalm 73 says, those people that seem to do things right, it seems like they get the short end of the stick. They get short-sheeted. And those people that seem to uh, flaunt a rebellious uh, attitude in the face of God seem to have everything going for them. That's not fair. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, something happened and I found a perspective and it was God's perspective. And suddenly I see things differently. Well, Craig did an awesome job out of Psalm 44. He said there is a tension. We are not wrapped in Jesus bubble wrap. Sometimes we think we come to Christ and we are protected, but we know as believers that the word is true. And yet there's a tension between what we know to be right and true and the way we actually live. And it's so difficult. There is a tension. And I'm glad he brought it up. He did an incredible job. You've got a bunch of gifted people here. So this morning we're going to take a look at what I consider tension questions. And we are apprentices in training. Would you like to live on the cutting edge? Or do you want to be like the mediocre man who is always at his best? Which will it be? Mediocre or a committed, sold-out person? The cutting edge we're talking about has to do with Christ. When a scissors cuts, it's right at that place. You see, the Bible is an interesting book because it isn't like uh, reading Harry Potter. Or is it Henry Potter? No, it's Harry Potter. Everyone's flocks to King Super to get the book and we read it through. I haven't at the end of it. You say, wow, but did it change your life? Has it rearranged your thought? Is there encouragement that comes out of that that gives you the will and the purpose to live? Did it put you suddenly on the cutting edge of life? Not that book. This one will if you're willing to not only read it and hear it proclaimed, but allow it to cut into your heart and into your life. This is the tension question. This is where we go. And then suddenly we see in the eyes of God we're totally accepted and loved, but we still have a lot of the tweaking, a lot under construction, a lot that God wants to work through. And it never ends, the side of heaven. So here we go. The first, by the way, Psalm 127 challenges us in three areas. The first is faith. Who is your faith in? Everyone has faith. Believe it or not, maybe you have faith in the latest Hollywood star. Maybe you have uh, faith in um, Paris Hilton. Now, now there's an image. I think she's wonderful, and I think I'm going to be just like her. Well, some people think that. Or a Victoria's Secret model. I'll never make it. (laughs) Some people have faith in a particular person or an idol or a, a sports person. Maybe you have faith in yourself. You know, I am master of my faith, captain of my soul. I am really something else. You know, well, the world hasn't noticed yet, but I'm pretty important. We we have faith in something. And so the question today in the, uh, the psalmist presents Solomon himself had it all. But he says, unless the Lord builds the house, i.e., that is, unless I am Taking all my talent, gifts and skills and I surrender them to God and making sure God that is head of all that decision making, which we know as well as uh, we know that that isn't true. There's so many areas we don't consult with God. But unless the Lord builds a house, he says they that labor, labor in vain, futility. Well, Kylan Dielich, a German interpreter of the Old Testament, said, if the Lord is not building your house, then... You will labor in vain. Pretty cut and dry. My wife tells me this is the first class condition. That is to say, if, as you ask this tension question, the Lord is not building my house and I know it, then whatever I do, future wise, truly will be vanity. Well, what is our house? It's where we live. Uh, That is to say, the tabernacle is where God lived. The New Testament says you are the tabernacle, you are the house of God, your body. My favorite statement I throw out there to people just to see if they're listening is I say, no matter where you go, there you are. Well, there's a profound question. No matter where you go, there you are, except that's the way it is, because wherever you are, that's where your house is. So if you're in the backseat of a car making out, that's where you are and that's where God is. If you're in a bar getting drunk, that's where you are. If you're sitting in an X-rated store, um, if you're on your knees in prayer, that's where you are. No matter where you go, there you are. Unless the Lord builds my house, unless the Lord is an integral part of every aspect of my life, that which I do is in vain. That's what it says. Well, two options we have here. Faith. Faith. And the Lord, that the Lord will build my house, or futility. Psalm 119 verse 33 is the. Kh. Did you hear that? <laughs> you thought he was fitting, right? It's uh, the you would say hey or uh, la chaim to life. Uh, psalm 119 verse 33. Actually, if you look at Psalm 119, it's along the psalm, and it's the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And it's all about how one could live their life. You can read it later. Psalm 119, 33. In Matthew 7 and in Luke 6, Jesus speaks about uh, the person that is a wise builder versus building on the sand. So when the storms and adversity come, you'll find out what where your house is. Who's your builder? Who's your daddy? You know, who's your builder? We're all preoccupied with who, who's building my home. Is it quality or is it going to fall? You know, my money's worth. And we're talking about your life, your life. Is that a significant question? I hope it is. Unless the Lord were to build your life and has entrance to every aspect of it, in whatever area you've exempt him, uh, you're traveling in vanity and futility. So, the question again, is the Lord Building? Who is my faith in? And it oscillates. I think Craig pointed it out well. There's a tension. But What is your heartthrob? What is your desire? What would you like to have it be? As I'm driving over here this morning, I'm thinking of my life. And I'm thinking, boy, Lord, I have some major areas of improvement. Do you? Because if you're honest, this is how we grow. This is how we're on the cutting edge of our faith. There's a little book that given to me many years ago it was called My Heart, Christ's Home. Everybody read of that Navigator publication. My Heart, Christ's Home. Come on in, Jesus. Come on in the front door. Hey, let's have time in the living room. This is great. Uh, come on into the kitchen. We've got our herbs here. Not the bedroom, though, uh, and not the closet for sure. That's where I took all this stuff. You know, when people come over, you take all that stuff that you haven't found a place for and you, jam it in the closet. Well, he says, I want in there too. every one of us have closets and to the degree that we work it through and the degree that we find God helping us sort it through to that degree. You are on the cutting edge of your faith and people will actually see you as real and sincere and they will actually embrace the gospel you are proclaiming. But if it isn't real and you're doing phony baloney, it's futility and they'll see it. Well. How does he do this? How, does, how do we let him do it? How does God build a house? How does he work his plan? Well, I asked my wife on that one. She says, in his time, in his way. He has a timing and a way. And uh, when I asked that question years ago in the Navy, I'll give you three simple ways that you can know that he's building your house and how he does it. I said, how does a ship stay in the middle of a channel when it comes into a large port? In the old days, he had three lights and deviate from one side or the other, and the lights are not lined up. And so it is in God's walk, our walk with him. First light is his word. Do you know his word? Have you memorized his word? Is his word a part of your life? Can you evaluate issues in your life with respect to the truth? Thomas Paine said, if you are not offending someone, you are not telling or traveling in the truth. The truth is always offensive. The word of God, light number one, light number two are circumstances and counsel of others. This is the way God directs our life. It will listen. And the third is peace. And by the way, that's what the psalmist points out. You will, those I love. I actually give rest sleep, but it's really peace of mind. How will I know? That I'm traveling here. That God is building my house. I make a lot of mistakes. A lot of difficulties. But I know. Because I can always come back to the drawing board and say, Lord, I know I have you. And by the way, if you don't, perhaps today is the day you should invite him into your life. Invite him into your home permanently. That he might stay there. And uh, find comfort and joy and relationship with you. So I can always go back and say, I know. I know. That I have you in my life. And either you extend to me forgiveness and you're the one that empowers me to live this life. Or I may as well put my my faith in a pet rock or anything else. Because everything else is futile. Well, we're going to find out more in the second challenge of Psalm 127. That is freedom. Not only faith, but freedom. Tension question. Where is freedom found? Well, the psalmist would say, unless the Lord watches the city. Uh, and that would imply that the Lord is not. If the Lord does not watch my city, that is to say, if the Lord is not the Lord over my nation, over this church, over my business, over any and every place that I live and that I, 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 I go, if he is not there, that labor is in vain. Homeland security? The terrorists seem much smarter than us. So we pour billions and billions and billions of dollars into protecting this country. And it's well spent. But There's some pretty nasty people out there that really like that. Do a job on this nation. But at the foundation of it all is the issue of freedom. Freedom, Jesus said, it was for freedom that Christ, I have set you free. You shall be free indeed. This nation, and I don't care which political avenue I might be, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican is irrelevant. As you look at people that are in leadership in the church, I would say, though, the psalmist is encouraging us to say, Do these people say that unless the Lord is building our house, our nation? I know that's so controversial. But unless he is, it says then that, uh, that all that labor is in vain. All of the work of Homeland Security is band-aids because somebody's going to find a way through. Do you follow this to the degree that we as a nation, to to the degree that we as a people uh, would come and say, Lord, you are our life as senators, as congressmen, as presidents, as leaders. This was our, our fabric of our nation, our history. People unapologetically would say this, Lord, unless you are the watchman. We can't watch it all. Is that happening today? If it isn't, we ought to pray that it should and it would. How could God possibly intervene? Well, he he did in the past, did marvelous things. Maybe this is a challenge to the very issue of freedom, because you've got to understand that the very foundation of freedom, the very foundation of civilization has to do with the Lord being the watchman and not. All of the devices and technology that we have as good as it is, it'll never be good enough because the threat is tyranny. And maybe to a certain degree, God will allow tyranny and destruction to reign just so that we can drive us back to him. What will it take to turn this nation around so that it would indeed place its trust, its faith, its security and stability in him? I'm not trying to be Pollyanna. But we could sure use a little more prayer, a lot more trust. I'm just trying to tell you what the psalmist says. Unless the Lord watches the city, the answer to this question is not the cleverness, not the ingenuity, not the technology, but resting in the sovereign God. As you look at it on your bulletin, it says, rest, sleep. Do you find more conflict in your life? And do you find more conflict in the nation in which you live? Tension question. What's your response? Normally we just say, I'm a, I can't handle it. Well, flip the news off. I'm not going to watch this. It's just too crazy. I can't do anything about it. <clears throat> but you can do something about the conflict in your own home. Is there unrest? Are you unsettled? Uh, are you just tense? Are so you pulled apart? Could it be then that the Lord is not watching? You've not asked him to, you've not allowed him to. Could it be that simple? According to Solomon, it is. We, I see more tension than ever. And I see more tension in the church. People working and striving and attempting to work harder and work better and do more. And they get burned out. Is, is this what God wants? That you, you work until you burn out? Or could it mean that he really wants to give rest, peace of mind, sleep? That I am bigger than every and all issues that you face. And out of suddenly coming to the sanctuary, coming to me, which you haven't done in a long time, I will give you rest. You will find peace of mind. I would say a good indicator uh, that the Lord isn't building the house, maybe in this area, is if you uh, travel in continual unrest. I have. I have. Sometimes I still do. That should be a little red flag. A little tip up. Fishing in the wrong place. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They wait upon the Lord so we knew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, to wait. That's an act of trusting. Act of trusting. Well, two options. Freedom or futility. Same result. Utility. I guess it's your choice. Third area that I'll address real quickly is the family. And that's what uh, Solomon addresses. Why is the family so important to uh, the psalmist and to God? He says sons are a heritage. They're a legacy. Children, male and female. They're like arrows, you know. Uh, and he says, blessed is a man whose quiver is full. Who knows what a quiver is. How many of you raise your hand with a quiver? Um, it's like when you get really cold, isn't it, you quiver? A quiver is a, a container that pulls arrows. Arrows is a picture of your children. What do your children see? What do these young people see in their mom and dad? They're God's spies. They know what's going on. Do you have a bona fide real faith, or uh, are you a phony? You see, as we um, pursue a faith that is vibrant and real, as, as we are honest with our struggles, uh, not only in our family, but in the world in which we live, the more there's consistency in our life, <clears throat> the more our children will see it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. And that is to say, then, you are the discipler and your children will be discipled. I sat at a a sentencing of a person who did a criminal act in his home, a sexual criminal act, and his mother came to defend him. And she said, this particular sexual sin is generational. This has gone on for three generations. Are you then predestined for it to continue to a fourth generation? The scripture actually says that the the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation of those that hate me. But they're visited to the third and fourth generation of them that love me, i.e. the blessings. It's a biblical principle. Oddly enough, the one who has now been sentenced and is in jail has recently become a believer in Christ. And he, for the first time in the sequence of generations has the capacity to break that generational sin. Nothing else will. I know what sexual sin is. I know that in this issue, only 3% of people that are perpetrators ever get delivered. And that's why I was at the sentencing, because I stood and I said, this person, I believe, would qualify for the 3%. And I'm simply asking the... Corrective side of judgment. I know there's a punitive side, but I am asking that you would allow this man to apologize to, to his daughter and to the family. They need that closure. She's confused. The uh, justice system wouldn't normally allow access. I don't know how it's going to work out. There is awesome power in a family I'm not talking about a a religiously pure, untouchable, sort of holier than thou. I'm talking about people that are true and genuine in the midst of their struggles and their difficulties. In fact, if you think of the family, it should be a community. And it's actually the church. Did you know that this church originally its title was family of faith? We started out 21 years ago called the family of faith. Well, that's what it should be. A family. You should be able to, uh, with honesty, share uh, together in confidence. And we should be here to encourage and uplift. We are here to equip you. You are the ones who do the ministry and together with us. That's the body. Well, I don't want to get too long-winded here. Two options. We have the family or we have utility. Let me uh, close with this challenge. I think it's healthy for us to grapple with these tension questions. Who is my faith in? That has to be answered by you individually. Where is freedom found? Why is the family so important and the church? I'm going to offer a class in the fall, and you can be looking for it. It's going to be called Cutting Edge Discipleship. And I think we're going to get to challenge you to say, if you want to be on the cutting edge of what Christ would have for you. A young man came up at the first service and said, that's what I want. This is life. I've had a pretty adventurous life, but it's nothing like the church. The church is the greatest adventure because I see the most dramatic changes in lives that only can be attributed to the work of God. Legacy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave with your time, your talent, your treasure? Jesus said there'll be a day when there is a separation of the sheep and goats. This is uh, cutting. David Wilkerson says there is a sifting going on. Who's real and who's phony? Who's playing games and who is really sincerely wanting to be on the cutting edge? At the end of the service, we invite you to come forward, pray with one of us. Maybe today you'd like to accept Christ. Maybe you'd like to put your life back on track. Maybe you'd just like to pray with someone. We'll be up here. Would you bow with me? Lord, you're an amazing God. You love us with a deep love. In in all honesty, you have loved us when we have, blat- when we have been blatant, rebellious, cantankerous, in-your-face people. We've been rebels. Maybe some of us still are. Absolute rebels. Your love doesn't quit. The tragedy is if we would turn a deaf ear to that all of our life. Maybe some people have heard this morning that you love them and want them You want them to live on the cutting edge of faith, not of futility. If you are this morning and you would like that, you would like Christ in your life, would you, in the quiet of your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me. I really need to be forgiven. I need to have you fill me. And I thank you once again, based upon who you are, your patience, your faithfulness when I'm faithless. You're in my life. And you are, you are my life. Lord, um, if anyone's prayed that prayer, we'd like to have them let us know. Every one of us will walk out of this um, place and we may forget most of what we heard. But um, Lord, there is uh, the cutting edge of life. If anyone wants an adventure, if anyone wants life to its fullest, you said we could have it. You would give us life abundantly, full and meaningful. And this is the cutting edge. Our faith, trust, childlike even, in you. <clears throat> our embracing of the freedom you have given us through forgiveness. And um, looking at our family and asking, how, what kind of legacy are we passing on? What, what do our kids really see? So have your way. You're the potter. We're the clay. If you have to slice off some extra baggage, it's got to go. May we cooperate. And now may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Come on back next week. We're going through the psalms. Come on up and pray with us. We'll be here.